In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Friends, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you are having a beautiful day. You know that? I'm serious. I hope your day is going awesome. I hope that you're able to look in the mirror, make some good eye contact, and kind of flirt with yourself a little bit. You ever do that? Look in the mirror and be like, hey, why are you so handsome? If you look in the mirror and you're like, hey, sugar bear, you been working out? (laughs) It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. And you should try it. At the very least, it'll make you smile. At the very least, it'll make you smile. And I think if you can start off your day with a smile, you can start off in the right frame of mind. That's what I think. That being said, I want to start off today with a funny story I heard a while back. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. This is a story about a... I knew this cat back, back in the day. I don't know. He was in college, so what was that? I'm 45, so what was that? I don't know, 23 years ago, something like that? Maybe 25 years ago? And he was living with his girlfriend. However, he didn't want his parents to know that him and his girlfriend were, you know, they were lovers. And so one day, his mom came to visit for dinner and she sat down for dinner with her son and his lovely roommate and the mom was you know just talking to them both and the mom had obviously noticed you know when you're in a relationship people can tell you together for those of you that might be younger 
Your mom knows, all right? Just listen. Your mom knows. You can't fool your mom. You might think you can fool your mom, but you can't fool your mom, all right? Just for those knuckleheads out there, I know you're going to try, but I'm telling you, it's pointless. So long story longer, they're sitting down to dinner and the mom kind of notices their mannerisms a little bit and, and the son notices her noticing them. And so the son says, mom, I know what you're thinking. However, this lovely woman here is not, we are, we are just friends. She's my roommate. You know, when I gave you the tour of the house, I showed you both rooms and she's a lovely girl. However, we are, we are just friends. We are not in a romantic relationship. And the mom just says, oh, okay, well, you know, no big deal. I was, I was just like, I I was kind of curious. I was going to ask, but thanks for letting me know. And, uh, the mom leaves and, and goes home. And about a week later, the my friend's lovely lover says to him, she says, Brian, I can't find the silver plate that we had. Remember, we had, we had three silver plates when your mom came for dinner. And I can't find that other silver plate. And I haven't seen it since your mom left. Do you think maybe she put it somewhere or maybe she moved it? Brian goes, well, I don't think my mom took it. And his his lovely girlfriend goes, well, I don't think she took it. However, I just haven't seen it. And so Brian goes, you know what? Let me, let me email her. And so he shoots her an email and it says, mom, I hope you're doing well. Just wanted to ask. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm missing the silver plate. Remember when you came over for dinner and, and we had a nice dinner and, you know, I'm missing one of the silver plates. I'm not saying you took the plate. Or I'm not saying you didn't take the plate. But the fact remains, I haven't seen the plate since you were here for dinner. I love you, your son, Brian. So about a day goes by and he gets a message back from his mom. And it says, dear Brian, I'm not saying that you do sleep with your roommate. And I'm not saying that you don't sleep with your roommate. But the fact remains that if she was sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the silver plate by now under her pillow. <laughs> That's hilarious, right? You see that? You try to mess with mom? You try to mess with your mom? She'll get you. You think you know, but mom's no best. To my mom, I love you. If you're a mom listening to this, then you are an amazing woman. When I think about all the women I know that are moms, I'm so thankful. I know some beautiful women in it. I know some beautiful women listening to this right now. And I want to tell you, you are an awesome mom. If I could be right there with you, I'd give you a big hug and tell you I love you and tell you thank you for being a good mom. It takes a good mom to raise a good man. You guys know that, right? Behind every good man, there's a good woman. We all got our name from a woman and we all got our understanding of life from a woman. So men should understand that. Women, you should know that too. Be careful who you're raising. Be careful what kind of man you're raising because you are the first woman that a man ever falls in love with. You teach him. All right, so let's get back into some linguistic abilities here. I've been switching back and forth between strategy and language and I really think that they're interconnected. For some of you, this is probably going to be just another review of words and things to think about. However, 
I want to try to do a different series on particular, peculiar, I can't even say that. I would like to try and shed some light on the beautiful, peculiar pieces of language that most people do not even know about or use. That being said, let us begin with a little term known as anadiplosis. 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 Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Yoda is known for wrong, his word order getting. But his most quoted line from Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, uses a different figure entirely. Yoda announces that fear leads to anger. He then takes the last word of that sentence and repeats it as the first word of the next. Anger leads to hatred. He then takes the last word of that sentence and repeats it as the first word of the next. Hatred leads to suffering. This is a case of anodiplosis. It links him directly to a previous spiritual teacher. Anyone? Anyone? You want to take a guess? St. Paul. We glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh man not ashamed. It is the anodiplosis the repetition of the last word of one clause as the first word of the next. That gives both lines their power, whether they're written by a saint or uttered by a small green alien. You guys with me so far? See, it's these little literary devices that can really punctuate, that can really add influence to the words you're using. But more than the words you're using, they can add weight to the idea you're trying to get across to people. They can make you a better communicator. The content doesn't matter much. In fact, anodiplosis doesn't care what you say and will give its gravitas to a diametrically opposed opinion. Yoda seems to think suffering a bad thing. But there's another semi-fictional American character called Jesse Jackson who observed that. Suffering breeds character. Character breeds faith. In the end, faith will not disappoint. And anyway, Yoda's lines look similar to those of Richard II as set down by one William Shakespeare the love of wicked men converts to fear, that fear to hate, and hate turns one or both to worthy danger and deserved death. So between Yoda, Jesse Jackson, and Shakespeare, we may have a change in philosophy. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. Malcolm X observed that. Once you change your philosophy, you change your thought pattern. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. 
and action, in my experience, ends in tiredness and the need for a drink. Drink leads to drunkenness. Drunkenness leads to a hangover. Hangovers cause suffering. Suffering leads to... Dot, dot, dot. But anyway, this chain has gone on for long enough and one cannot be quite sure where it starts and ends. Only that it sounds lovely because of anadiplosis. Anadiplosis gives the illusion of logic. Like a conquering general that arrives at a word, plants a flag there, and then moves on. By doubling down, it makes everything seem strong, structured, and certain. Like George Monty. Very handsome, that gentleman. Of course, that doesn't mean that things are strong, structured, and certain. That's a logical fallacy. Qualled? Qualled? That's a lux, That's a logical fallacy called the Quartino Terramorum, or fallacy of the four terms. That goes something like this. A ham sandwich is better than nothing. Nothing is better than eternal happiness. So eternal happiness is beaten by a ham sandwich. The trick there is that the specific meaning of nothing has been changed from lack of food to impossibility. Yoda could have said that fear leads to running away, and running away leads to safety. If the line had simply been fear leads to anger, which leads to hate, which leads to suffering, it wouldn't have sounded half as good or half as convincing. But with the doubling of anadiplosis, it feels like an inevitable progress. Of course, anadiplosis doesn't have to be used for logic. It can simply add a harmony. In the same way that a repeated musical phrase binds two sections together. So Milton, mourning his dead friend in Lycidas, wrote, For Lycidas is dead. Dead, ere his prime. And later, But oh, the heavy change, now thou art gone. Now thou art gone, and never must return. Anadiplosis gives the glue and connection to the Lennon and McCarthy song, here, there, and everywhere. To lead a better life, I need my love to be here, here, making each day of the year. Changing my life with the wave of her hand, nobody can deny that there's something there. There, running my hands through her hair, both of us thinking how good it can be. Someone is speaking, but she doesn't know he's there. There's simply a satisfaction, half logical and half beautiful, in seeing the same word ending one phrase and coming back to life at the start of the next. It is progression. Progression is a story. A story leads to a climax, just as here leads there and there leads everywhere. That kind of sounds like the cat in the hat a little bit, doesn't it? As the Emperor Commodus didn't actually put it when chatting to the utterly fictional Maximus Decimus Meridius Russellus Croas in the film Gladiator, the general who became a slave, the slave who became a gladiator, the gladiator who defied an emperor. Striking story. And it is, but only when Anadiplosis is on hand. The general who became a slave, who became a gladiator, who defied an emperor, would sound like a rather incoherent nursery rhyme. But perhaps the greatest anodiplosis is not biblical or Shakespearean. 
It's simply a description of a dismal dinner and nobody knows who wrote it. If the soup had been as warm as the wine and the wine as old as the fish and the fish as young as the maid and the maid as willing as the hostess, it would have been a very good meal, which is an example of a periodic sentence. Periodic sentence. Should we get into that right now? What do you guys think? All right, let's do it. The little dot at the end of a sentence is either called a full stop or if you are of the American persuasion, which I am, thank you very much. Uh, What are your favorite kinds of woods? It depends on my mood. Sometimes I like just a simple wood like pine, a burnished pine. Uh, Other times I love oak, an oak plank. Sometimes I'll just I'll look at an oak plank and uh, I'll just stare at it and talk to it and say, I wish you could tell me stories about your life as a tree, but you can't now because someone yeah. carved you up into a plank. That's the way it is. Uh-huh. You know what You know what wood I hate? Let me guess. Balsa wood. Exactly. Balsa wood's stupid. Yeah. So flimsy. It doesn't feel like a real wood. Yeah. It's kind of like if you had steel, the consistency of clay, mm. then is it really steel? Well, when you put it that way, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It is like the coward of woods. The other wood that I don't, I don't care for is bamboo. Right. It's not even a wood. Bamboo's lately been cocky. Yeah. No, I know. Everyone's getting like a bamboo hardwood floor. I'm like, that's not wood. I know. And now bamboo thinks it's wood. And, uh, you know, it pisses me off. That's something communists hide behind. Yeah. You. Tell me about it. Communists and panda bears. A period. In fact, Americans, like me, rather like saying the word period aloud in order to add emphasis as in, you can't do that, period. Or, we'll wait a certain amount of time, period. This all goes back to the notion of a period as a complete cycle of time, and thus a complete or periodic sentence. The period is one of the most complicated and convoluted concepts of classical rhetoric. Nobody in the ancient world could quite decide what it meant, but they were united in the belief that it was terribly, terribly important. I mean, very important. Period. Fortunately, in English, we tend to make a much more limited view of the periodic sentence. It's simply a very big sentence that is not complete until the end. Now, you might think that no sentence is complete until the end, but you, my friend, would be wrong. That last sentence could have finished at the comma. The but you'd be wrong was not grammatically necessary. In fact, if you'd got bored halfway through, you could have put this book down and gone off to make a cup of tea with no syntactic shadow hanging over you. The same cannot be said of Rudyard Kipling's poem, If. If is one long, 294-word sentence, 273 of which are conditional clauses. If you can keep your head, trust yourself, dream, think, etc., then you can finally get to the main verb on the 31st line. And then, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you will be a man, my son. 
The trick of the periodic sentence is that until you've got to the end, until you've found that clause or verb that completes the syntax, until you finally got to the period of the period, you can't stop. Kipling forces you along to the climax. Read the first line of if, and you have to read on until line 31 before you're grammatically satisfied. And by that time, you might as well read line 32, just so you can say you have. Shakespeare used the same trick, but usually by piling nouns one on top of the other. In The Tempest, Prosporo says, And like the baseless fabric of the vision, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, ye all which is inherent shall dissolve. He knew, (laughs) he knew, the reader can't stop until they get to that main verb. The Tempest example is actually remarkably restrained for Shakespeare. In John of God's death scene in Richard II, the old man is meant to be so ill he can barely speak. One wonders, therefore, how he managed to take a breath deep enough for this periodic parade. The royal throne of kings, this sceptered isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden demi-paradise, this fortress built by nature for herself against infection and the hand of war, this happy breed of men, this little world, this precious stone set in the silver sea, which serves it in the office of a wall or as a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happier lands, this blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England, this nurse, this teeming womb of royal kings, feared by their breed and famous by their birth, renowned for their deeds as far from home for Christian service and true chivalry, as is the sceptre in stubborn jewelry of the words ransom blessed Mary's son, this land of such dear souls, this dear, dear land, dear for the repetition through the world is now leased out. I doubt, I die pronouncing it like to a tenement or pelting farm. The substance of that sentence is England is now leased out. Everything else is from the point of view of content irrelevant, but England is now leased out is much too tedious. The Shakespeare knew that content was not nearly as important as form. Think about that. Content is not as important as form. If you want to know what actually happened to Richard II, read a history book. Shakespeare is in it for the periods. So long as you remember not to blurt out your main verb too early, so long as you begin clause after clause with when or if or thought or while or so long, so long, as you have very large lungs that you can keep you going through 14 (laughs) opposite clauses for England, despite the fact that you're on your deathbed, so long as you don't mind being a tad artificial, periodic sentences are a doodle. In the song, Every Breath You Take, 
Even in the midst of a jealous rage, Sting still maintained the self-control to save his main verb for the end of every verse. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. That is so creepy. Isn't that creepy? And like everybody listens to that song that thinks it's like a great love story. It's a freaky weirdo. Hey man, I'm a peepin' Tom. My name is Peepin' Sting. Likewise, in the four tops, reach out, I'll be there. You have a long series of temporal clauses introduced by the word when before you get your reassurance. However, you don't need to keep using exactly the same structure to stop the sentence finishing. Kipling had his conditional clauses. Shakespeare and Sting, their nouns, but Milton managed to hold off the first verb of Paradise Lost by digging a huge grammatical hole and setting up camp in it like this, of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with loss of Eden till one greater man restore us the rain, the blissful seat, sing heavenly muse, which is an example of what we will be getting on to tomorrow, hypotaxis. And for those of you wondering, this is from a phenomenal book. It's a set of books. This particular one is called The Elements of Eloquence, How to Turn the Perfect English Phrase. And it is by the author, Mark Forsyth. I will, of course, put a link in the show notes. That being said, my friends, I hope that you understand how much I love you. How much the world loves you. I hope you understand that love leads to happiness and happiness leads to fulfillment and fulfillment leads to a land called Hanali and Hanali has lakes of chocolate milk and the lakes of chocolate milk have giant marshmallows that you can lay on. And some of those giant marshmallows that you can lay on grow psychedelic mushrooms that you can eat. And psychedelic mushrooms that you can eat lead to love. <laughs> you see what I did there? You see what I did there? I love you guys. Hope you have a great day. And we'll be back tomorrow with some linguistic structures to help you be a better communicator, help you explain yourself better, and to spread some love. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone the world is a crazy place and if you listen to your heart and you take some chances I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine I've been doing the podcast for about five years last year I decided to take the plunge well 
circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.